Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hello and thank you. Big interview audience, we love you. Hundreds of you have queued up to support the big interview in a way that you can afford by buying yourself rewards. And for that, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you very much indeed. I suppose what it begins to indicate is that you like football stories about rich lives well spent in this sport that we all adore. I must admit we thought we took a little bit of a risk this time. We focused a lot on Harry's early days at Spurs. We talked a lot about Dave Mackay and John White. John White, a footballer I was told, was maybe Scotland's greatest before he was killed by lightning at 27 and a lost talent so long ago that I wondered maybe people might not want to hear those stories, but you did. And I was thrilled to find out that his son's on Twitter, hello Rob, and that he had a chance and his family had a chance for the warmth about John White, the ghost of White Hart Lane, to be shared once again. Thank you for the feedback that you give us on Twitter, which is often funny. At Woa Gandhi. Hello, Neil Lafferty. Part one with Ari was too short. The stories of Carl Richards had me in stitches. When's part two, three, and four? Now, baby, part two. It's the last part. Before we begin it, let me just say that what's proving really popular is the Fiesta Parties on Kickstarter.com. Look for Graham Hunter. The reward there, come to a night of question and answer where I'll talk about all kinds of football, particularly Spanish football. I'll answer all your questions. There'll be music, there'll be a bar. It'll be something exclusive and it'll be great fun. If you can afford it, don't just come along, bring a friend, bring family. If you want the big interview to survive, thank you for your contribution, but tell others about it, see if they like it. We find out from feedback from Kickstarter, feedback from Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, what we find out is that there are new listeners coming completely unaware of the big interview because of this campaign. They're coming to it for the first time. Tell other people, see if they enjoy joining us. Harry Part 2 contains one of the funniest football stories I've ever heard. It's about Canu. There's a little bit of karaoke and uh, Elvis impersonations. There's a lot about Frank Lampard Sr. and Jr., two people I know and like very much indeed, and the jealousy that surrounded them. A little story about a tubby kid. A tubby kid who probably, in his own words, wouldn't have made a footballer if it hadn't been for Malcolm Allison. Yes, Malcolm in the bath with Fiona Richmond Allison. That tubby kid, England's only ever World Cup winning captain, Bobby Moore. He reckons he wouldn't have made a football player if it wasn't for Malcolm Allison at his early stages and the faith he put in him. It's a good story. There's Bale destroying Inter. Bit about Joe Jordan. I love this chap and... I really don't care whether people have undervalued Harry across the length of his career. He's lived a life in football that I'm envious of. And the great thing he's got is the ability to tell it well. Buckle in, listen to it, lap it up. See you at the other side. We were on... um we talking about David Moyes, weren't we, watching No, because... Yeah. How did they get on last night? Uh, no, fantastic. That's a funny story in itself, Harry. I don't know if you ever came across Archie Knox when he was backing yes. up Walter and Sir Alex. Of course. Archie's another fabulous football man. Yeah, Archie, football, yeah. But a tough man. Yeah. To the extent that I remember Marco Materazzi who provoked Zidane and yes. got butted by Zidane in the World Cup final. When he was at Everton, he was scared to go into Walter and Archie if they had a bad first half because of all the the jip that they would get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Archie came out for seven, ten days 
holiday out in San Sebastian with David. David said to him, come and watch on the, on the training ground or whatever. Archie, I think, has a lot of Spanish. I'm not sure if the players quite understand his, his talent and mm. his history in the game. But he's arriving in the training ground and has coincided with the first win of the season. They've gone to Granada, they've won 3-0, they've recalled the striker, dropped the big money striker, recalled Agarecci, scored a hat-trick and they've won 3-0. I mm. said to David, it must be the Archie Knox effect. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's different in Spain because you can't jump in your car where no, you would yeah. have driven six hours, 26 hours to do a sort of round trip to Malaga. Yeah, and he's yeah, finding the geography of the country difficult to do what he was Absolutely. expert at. Yeah, yeah. One of the players who's out in that league, one of the players that David's real associate I will have to face is an ex-pupil of yours. Somebody who I thought you changed as a footballer. I'm talking about Gareth Bale. In that, I remember very well, we had a mutual friend and he told me that Gareth needed a little bit of a G up from you. Mm. Get fitter, lose some weight, cut the hair, sort mm. himself out. Maybe take football, I don't know if it was more seriously, but that you gave him a talking to that helped him transform from a promising player at Tottenham mm. to somebody who became oh, one fantastic. of the world greats. Of course, yeah. Talk me through what you did with him. No, that. I just felt, when I went there, he was, you know, he'd gone for a, a spell where he'd played, he'd gone like 20-odd games without being on a winning team, hadn't he? He'd never played yep. on a winning team. It was yep. an unbelievable record, really. Not It wasn't his fault, but it's just the way it worked out with him. But I just found every day in training, he'd get a little knock. I can see him now limping off on one leg and like, the physio's running over to him. I always felt he was messing about with his, in them days with his hair, wetting his hair, putting the clips in. And I just said to him, like, stop messing about with your barnet, you know, and just get on with it. And, you know, when he was injured, I said to the physios, leave him. He'll get up. Just leave him. He'll get up. Don't go running over to him. You know, if he's badly injured, he lays there long enough, different. You keep running over, and the more you do it, the more he limps off. But, no, he suddenly, I don't know, he, he developed, and he's just an amazing talent. I think, you know, he's... He's up there with the best, I think, you know, in, you know, Messi, Ronaldo, Suarez. He's just behind them, you know. Why, he's, why is he? What? He's got everything, I think. I mean, I was worried about him when he went to, you know, Real Madrid. I did worry about whether he would get overawed by Ronaldo and, and feel a little bit inferior and maybe go in his shell a little bit. But, I mean, that last season, he was, he was excellent, wasn't he? I mean, this season hasn't... The first... Was it the first season? Like the first season was underappreciated in yeah. Britain, where... You arrive late, yeah. you're not fit, you're at the world's most demanding club, which I say yeah. seriously. Foreign language, you get injured early on, Carlo Ancelotti's changing the shape of the team around. He scores goals, he makes goals, he impresses Ronaldo in training, he wins yeah. Ronaldo's admiration, he gets a cup final winner, he gets a Champions League goal, mm. and he not only copes with it, he develops. You can see that he's improved in year one. Mm. I would say year two was different. And having watched him under you at Spurs, I wondered whether the fact that he then changed and grew the hair long again meant that he felt he'd arrived, that he was yeah, the boss, yeah. he was in charge again. Yeah. And, and I think under the second season syndrome, I think Cristiano Ronaldo looked over his shoulder and said, I've got a threat here. And mm. I think that didn't help Gareth's development, which is presumably one of the things that you were concerned about, whether he's got the natural outgoing yeah. dominance to be able to say I'll take you on yeah Christiana. yeah I'll take this free kick yeah this is good free kick I'll, t I'll take this I'll do it you know you know at Tottenham yeah, he was doing everything in the end he was taking every free kick and I, I just wonder whether he'd go you know go under under a little bit with Ronaldo do you think that about shyness as a, as a personality yeah he's a quiet boy isn't he you know I mean he's, you know he's not a I don't know even how he's settled really in, in Spain. I mean, does he, does he speak the language yet or? No, I think most people understand. I, th I think he's got a smattering of it. Yeah. And I think it's been, it's been fortunate that Ancelotti and Paul Clement spoke English. Yeah. He's now got a manager in Rafa Benitez who, who yeah, is a more, the most British Spaniard there's yeah, ever yeah. been. Yeah. So I think he's coping on that side. And I, I, I was an, an admirer of him and I admired mm. him coming out and saying, at this club, I want to win the Ballon d'Or. Mm. I want to become the number one player in the world. Mm. Because I think you have to show that kind of... Yeah, yeah, of course. Cojones. I'm saying that I believe you helped with your man man. Not at first, case. no. He was, but he was very young, Graham. He was only a very young boy. He was, you know, very, very young. And he'd come from Southampton with a big reputation. And, you know, as I say, was in and out the team at Tottenham and really didn't get a run. And people say, well, you, you know, you switched him from left back to... But I'll be honest, I think if he'd have stayed at left back, he'd have been the best left back in the world. He was a fantastic left-back. He could have been a fantastic left-back, but he went on to be a fantastic left-winger or and wherever he plays now when he's freed off. 
but he would have been a fantastic left back. Why no did you? Why, why were you in favour of altering what he did for the team where he played? Was it just naturally you thought that there were goals coming? What was the decision-making process? Well, I just felt he had that ability to go by people, to shoot, to score goals, and I just felt let's get him up the park higher. And it, and it suited him, you know, and then we end up freeing him off. In fact, but the crowd used to sing to me away from home. A lot of the Tottenham fans weren't happy when I started freeing him off in playing like he has. They used to sing his Gareth Bale, he plays on the left because I played him off the right or I played through the middle. We went to Norwich and I played him inside in a pocket off the front and he was fantastic, scored, right calls. But then soon as we went behind somewhere or, they, you know, they would start singing his Gareth Bowie plays on the left. You know, people then were suddenly marking him, trying to... Every team we played against, he was their main man. When he played well, Tottenham won. So, you know, I just felt sticking him out, keeping him wide. People would, you know, they would get a dog to mark him and, and it's very difficult at times to get in the game when you're stuck out on that touchline. I, I like to free him off and let, you know, wherever he picked the ball up, he could go and run with it. Certainly coming off the line in them little pockets. But... Benitez has expressed it as that if Real Madrid can catch another team, rob the ball from another team, Gareth's running at space, then he's got no equals because Ronaldo no longer makes those long 50 metre yeah. runs going past people. He's changing his 31 year look, maybe 32 in, in February. Yeah. But Gareth can do that better than anybody else in the world. What was always asked about him when he came to Spain was whether he had the close control. Mm. Oh, yeah. Or not. yeah. Oh, yeah, great technique, yeah. I didn't think there was anything missing in his game, just his personality and his character, whether he could really come out in himself and pull that ability into practice, really. There was no doubt in his ability, in my opinion. And, I mean, Benitez should know him better than anybody. Rafa was a... He absolutely destroyed Macon, didn't he? And then, you know, he, we beat Inter Milan at home. I'll never forget that night because I, I felt they would double up on Gareth that night and they didn't. They left Mac on it right back with no one in front of him again and Gareth just absolutely destroyed him. But for somebody as strategic and tactically detailed as, mm. as Rafa, that came it was as a surprising. big shock. Yeah, I thought they would stick someone in front of Mac on and sit him on his toes and just double up on Gareth all night. But we end up with two against one down that side. And every time we got the ball to Gareth, he just ran at him and just destroyed him again. Is that one of the most extraordinary ties that you've been involved in as a player. Well, the first one was, yeah, when we beat, you know, when we, we, we went out there and we were 4-0 down, we looked, we had the keeper sent off early. And at half-time, it looked like it was going to be 10. I remember Tim Sherwood saying to me, come in, Tim was there and he was on about taking Gareth off and saying, like, shut up, shop. And I said, listen, we've got, we, we're going to have a go. Let's have a go at them, see if we can get a goal, couple of goals back. All right, we, ain't, we don't win the game, but we're going to have a go. And I left Gareth on. We got back to four for another 10 minutes so we wouldn't have got beat. They was absolutely gone. So San Siro, yeah. 10 men, mm. not a particularly experienced European no. Spurs side. No. In terms of winning your Spurs and knowing no. what... And you go to 4-3 and if the game's been longer, yeah, you're yeah. maybe going to win it there and then. Yeah, I think, yeah. And therefore, the way in which they faced up the, 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 the second leg at, at White Hart Lane, you know, was asking to be beaten. Yeah, I thought so. I thought, we, I thought they left themselves wide open, really leaving Mac on again to try to deal with Gareth one against one, having got such a chase in. And Macon really never recovered from that. He went from being the best right back in the world as he was supposed to be, to really suddenly his career took a big dip. Were you aware of Inter Milan's shock that night after the second leg around the club, the officials, the players that haven't been ripped to shreds by your team? Well, in the home game, he went over yeah. there first, yeah. Well, I think they was hanging on. I mean, they were surprised how we came back second half, obviously, and then they've got to come to White Hart Lane, you know, for, for the second game. Yeah, you know, I thought they would really, as I say, do a job on Gareth because single-handedly almost he, he'd run them ragged that night, you know? And I thought they would definitely, that would be their plan, would be to stop him, but they didn't really have a plan to stop him. They let him play, which was amazing. Would you have any, not regrets, but would, would it have fulfilled you more to have had more European football? Oh, for sure, yeah, we should have done, really, yeah. During your career, because... Yeah, yeah, I mean, at Tottenham, even, the following year, we, we finished fourth, or the year after we finished fourth, and, um, you know, we got done because Chelsea won the Champions League. And we should have finished third, in all honesty. I mean, we... And I know everybody talks about it, we did get decimated by injuries. I ended up bringing a couple of players in on free transfers in the window when, really, Tottenham should have gone out and bought a player or two and we were in such great shape at that time. And then Arsenal beat West Brom last game of the season. The keeper 
the reserve keeper played and had the worst nightmare I've ever seen. I mean, Arsenal beat them 3-2. But then Chelsea beating Bayern Munich cost us a place in um, Champions League. You see, football's cruel because they, I don't know how your loyalties are split, but you go there, you oh, see your nephew. Desperate for Chelsea to get beat. I'd be alive, I said, otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> That's Frank, quite Frank's playing, but... No, I, I, wanted, I wanted us to be in the Champions League. I mean, I, the worst thing I ever done was going to the game. Um, I'll never forget it. I'll be honest, I went to the game. You know, I'm, I'm up in the skybox with Jamie and, um, you know, it was, it was torture, really. I mean, they got battered, Chelsea. Absolutely battered, as you know. And, uh, yep. you know, they've missed a penalty and then it goes to penalty, you know. But it... As brutal as it is for Spurs and for you... Hmm. People don't talk enough about how extraordinary Drogba's goal is because that header to get mm. that power in the top corner mm. from at that stage of the game, that far away from the goal is, is... Oh yeah, it was amazing, yeah, yeah. You really couldn't see it coming, but... And, you know, I've had to, I'm stuck in a box. I've got Rude Ullett, who, you know, I'm a great admirer of Rude Ullett. He's a fantastic player. And he, but Rude's jumping around in front of me, Chelsea singing Blue is the Colour, and I'm like... I'm on the floor. It's not very classy. You know, I've got to be honest, I was, I was absolutely on the floor, you know, and uh, then I've walk, got to walk around the pitch at the end of the game where I kept the Chelsea fans in as I'm walking around with Jamie and the rest of the, the Sky crew back to a car to take us to the hotel with the Chelsea fans all singing to me, Thursday night, Channel 5. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Only know. funny in retrospect, yeah, not on oh, yeah. the night. No, you can laugh now, but uh, that was it really, I'll be honest. It, um, well, it cost me my job really, you know, whatever, well, it certainly didn't help. But we finished fourth, they haven't finished fourth since. I'm asking because I'm curious, so it's, it's up to you, but I've begun to feel as if Spurs' ambitions to finally make the Champions League are being a little bit thwarted by the way in which Daniel Levy likes to do business. It's, mm. it's often, from my way of interpreting it, it takes too long. Whereas if you want to get the absolute right player, mm. you have to be in. Sometimes you have to pay a premium. Mm. Let's not go over the board because it's early yet. But I know Louis van Gaal was, ex- was astounded by how much he had to pay for Anthony Marshall. But by paying that extra, they've got this brilliant young talent yeah, who's yeah, lit yeah. up their season. Sure. And sometimes you just have to... Yeah, Show yeah. a bit of cojones. Now, I wonder whether, they, whether Daniel at Spurs is maybe blocking their ability to just make that leap into the top four. And well, we had, it was in that position, as I say, at Christmas when I, I really felt we were genuine, I know it's, we were genuine title contenders and we, we were in such a great position and playing so well. And, you know, we had real players, Bale, Modric, Van der Vaart. You know, we, we had a very, very good team. But then we, had, we picked up a few injuries and we were desperately short of a striker. And we had a problem at centre half, so I ended up taking two free transfers. Ryan Nelson, who was 36 at the time, from Blackburn on a free, he'd been paid up. And uh, Louis Sahar on a free from Everton. And no disrespect, they were two outstanding players in their time, but we were at Tottenham, and it certainly didn't excite the Tottenham fans on them two signings. But I needed some bodies because we weren't going to buy anybody at that time. You know, Daniel had made up his mind we weren't going to spend any money. So we ended up taking a couple of free transfers in. And it cost us in the end. We finished fourth, but as I say, it didn't quite get us Champions League because of Chelsea winning the Champions League. Well, let's talk about happier times because it's about the, the, the enjoyment that football can give you as well as the, the bitter nights where you can't believe what's going wrong. Tell me why one night you were in a karaoke bar with Herman Ryderson dressed as Elvis Presley. Oh, that was cup final... Uh, when we got to Wembley with Portsmouth, we stayed in a hotel up in uh, Henley-on-Thames or somewhere around that area. So I took the lads, I booked up an Italian restaurant, they had a karaoke. We asked them if they had a karaoke, got a karaoke in for us. And Herman bought his Elvis outfit and he was fantastic Elvis. He couldn't sing, but he had all the moves, had all the gear. He had a great outfit as well. Wait, did he happen to just have it handy or did he go out and No, he it? bought it with him. He bought his gear. He, had it, he has it. He goes out. He lived around here, Herman. He lived up the road here. Okay. And often you go into restaurants some nights and you hear Herman, his wife, they used to sing. And all his friends, they talk about enjoying themselves. They would sing. Every restaurant they went in, all end up, always end up singing. So Herman's got his Elvis outfit with a great big... The real, the white one with all the gold and all the everything, you know. And he, he got up and done his Elvis... It was brilliant, the lads, we laughed. You never stop laughing. And then 
You know, we had lads like Canu. I mean, Canu. People talk about Portsmouth spending money. And I remember ringing him up on a Monday. We never had a striker. First game of the season, we were playing Blackburn at home. Todorov's got an injury. He's doubtful. Yakubu wasn't fit. We never had a striker on our books to start the first game. I'm going to play a centre-half up front. Uh, pinch and uh, suddenly uh, Canu's name I don't know where it came to me Canu we're going through all the where we might find somebody but nothing Canu what happened to Canu he, he was at West Brom last year they freed him they got relegated I find the number for Canu and ring him up what you been what you been up to big man oh no so you been training uh, I went for a run in the park one day <laughs> oh well done listen come down tomorrow I'm interested in taking you Bring your boots, bring your boots. Come down, I'm going to give you a fitness test tomorrow. If you're fit, I'm interested in signing you. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I want to play, I want to... He comes down, we've got a reserve game that afternoon with Cardiff at the training ground. I throw him, Steve, you can't, Harry's not trained. He said, how can you play him? He can't just go and play for, he hasn't done a pre-season. I said, he's either fit or he's not. Let's see if he's any, see where he is. I stick him in. 60 minutes, he gets two goals, he's out of this world. Right, we sign him, bomb, give him a contract at the end of the season. Saturday, Todorov is going to play half again. They said, you might get half out of Todorov. So I put Cano on the bench. He's tired after this 60 minutes on the Tuesday. But anyway, <laughs> he plays, he plays Todorov, scores. We win him 1-0 at half-time. I bring Cano on second half, half-time. He gets two goals and misses a penalty, Cano. Right, we win 3-0. That's a Saturday, first game of the season. Monday night, we got a Middlesbrough. I'm playing him at Middlesbrough now. He ain't trained one day since he finished at West Brom. Wherever he said he went for a jog in the park, he never really wouldn't have done. <laughs> so, he, so we got a Middlesbrough, so he's playing at Middlesbrough. We beat Middlesbrough 4-0. He gets two goals again. He runs from the halfway line for one of them. He keeps zigzagging. The defender's chasing him. He breaks away. You know, he keeps going across him with the ball and the defender's trying to get up to tackle him and he's cutting him off. <laughs> it just, it was unbelievable. The keeper comes out, he goes past the keeper, rolls it in the empty net. We get back to the airport. We, we flew out of Bournemouth that night, funny enough. So we get back to, uh, back to the airport. We all stood there with one 4 nil. Canu is sitting where the luggage comes around. He's sitting like this. Suddenly, he's going... He can't move, he can't get up. His, his, his body's gone into whatever, right? He's like this. He just can't move. We're saying, come on, Cannon, we've got the coaches here. I, I can't get, I can't get, I can't. So they lift him up and put him in a wheelchair. <laughs> this is the God's honest truth, right? They put him in a wheelchair, wheel him out the airport. The kit man, one of the kit men, we lift him up, get him in his car in the passenger seat. He had to drive him home. <laughs> his body had gone into some whatever, you, whatever it was he's gone into but he just could not move he couldn't stand up he couldn't he's had suddenly had two games and he ain't played ain't trained but oh he was he was amazing amazing lad you know every he used to ring me on Sunday night the phone would go I didn't get it so I'd go to bed he knew I was in bed quarter to 11 11 o'clock oh Gaffer is Canu King I have the upset tummy I can't come in tomorrow. I'd be in Tuesday every week. He just didn't want, he was in London, lived in London. He didn't want to come, he'd play on a Saturday. He didn't want to come in on Monday or warm down and all that messing about. He didn't want to know about that. Stretching, he just didn't. But play. That's what we started talking Genius. about. Genius. Yeah. Genius. Feet like canoes. Yeah. But he could do anything with the ball. I mean, one of the most extraordinary goals I've ever been present for was in playing for Arsenal at Chelsea. Yeah, oh yeah. And coming in off the line. Uh, and yeah, yeah. There's no yeah. angle. No, no. It can't happen. No. Oh, mate. No. Yeah. So I took him for nothing. We didn't pay him much dough. He ended up scoring the goal in the semi-final. To get, we won 1-0. He gets the goal in the final. We win 1-0. He was, and I loved him. He was fantastic. We went out to Nigeria to play Man United. There was thousands of people at the airport, not to see us, just to see, he was the king. They was outside the hotel day and night, people... They loved him out. He was the king, King Canu, they called him, you know. Fantastic he was. We're here because of what you've achieved and because of your love of football, but I can't get away from the fact that you also make me, you make me cry with laughter sometimes. And you told a story, which if you're indulgent, you tell me again, 
about letting Merce have a little bit of time. Oh, Merce, yeah, yeah. Now, Merce is a wonderful guy. Oh, right? yeah. A, just a diamond of a guy. Yeah, yeah. And he could play a little bit too. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And he's now in tremendous nick and he's, he's fun to be around. But when he was playing for you, I mean, he added the same kind of class as, as Canu did. Oh, Merson was fantastic. I took, I mean, my first year at Portsmouth, I'll be honest at the time, it, being a manager of Portsmouth wasn't something that I ever saw myself wanting to do, you know, where I was at that time. I'd left West Ham and I went there with Milan as director of football, but then he wanted me to be a manager. I didn't want to be the manager. In the end, he was going to pack up and I took, I took it on. I thought, they finished fifth, bottom five, bottom six, four years running. I thought, what chance we got? The mate of mine rung me, who loves a bet, and he said, hey, I'm going to have a few quid on your team, 33 to one. I said, don't. Even think about it, I said, don't waste your money. I said, I promise you, we've got, you know. That was about a week before. I signed Merson about three days before the season started. Someone said, I got a phone call. Steve Cutner was his agent. Would you be interested in Merce on a free? They'll pay most of his wages. They just want to get him out. I said, I'll take him now. He said, would you definitely? I said, yeah, definitely. He said, I don't know if he'll come, Harry. I, you know, he's at Villa, he's playing Premier League. I said, well, let me talk to him. I spoke to him. I said, look, come here, I'll make you captain. You know, play you in be off the front. Bosh, he went, that'll do me. He came in, he just turned the club around, really. He, you know, his presence, everybody loved having him there. The other players, I remember Linvoy Primus, he was a fantastic lad. He said, I never thought I'd play with Paul Merson, you know. He'd been around the large divisions. So, yeah, Merce came in and was just amazing. But he was high-maintenance high at the time. He was, you know, he was always moaning. If you're playing one touch, you want to play two touch, you know. And he came to me one day and we, ain't got a, we haven't got a game for two weeks. We're top of the league. We got off to a flyer. We were absolutely played brilliant. I, I played with three at the back. And I either played with two in midfield with Merce behind two strikers. Or sometimes I'd play Merce in behind one or whatever, depending, maybe a three midfield player. We had two very attacking fullbacks, Steve Stone, Matty Taylor, who got us goals galore from left wing back. And Merce said, oh, I'm... Harry said, I've got a problem. We're not with two weeks with no game. He said, I've got a problem with the drinking and the, the gambling and, and the women. And I've done a few drugs, you know, in the past. And I went, oh, really? I said, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself, you know? So he said, can I, he said, can I have a week off to go to Tony Adams' clinic? So I said, yeah, sure, no problem. He said, it sorts me out when I go there. He said, only missus has got the ump. She's going to leave me otherwise. And then, oh, all right, Merce. We ain't so sick. If I go after the game Saturday, can I come back the following Monday? I said, yeah, no problem. We ain't got a game the following Saturday. It's cup week and we're out of the cup. We got beat by Man United in the third round at Old Trafford. So I said, we've got a free week. Anyway, Merce goes off and uh, we ain't playing for two, two weeks. So me and Sandra went to Barbados for five days, right? We're staying at a friend of mine's house called Michael Tabor. Michael, they own Coolmore, you know? They own the uh, Sandy Lanes Hotel, but Michael's house is better than the hotel. Anyway, I'm staying at Michael's house. So it's great. We have been playing golf with me and Michael every day. And he's got a few people come around. And one lunch, we're sitting there on the Wednesday or whatever. A fella comes in. He said, I've just seen one of your players up the beach, Harry. I said, one of my players? He went, yeah. I said, no, it can't be. Not here in Barbados. But one of my old, no, Paul Merson. I said, no, it can't be Paul Merson. I said, he's at Tony Adams' clinic. He said, of course it was Merson. He said, I'm an Arsenal man. He said, I know Merson. He said, I didn't know you was going to be here, so I just had a chat with him. Anyway, it was January, right? End of January, middle of January. It was cup week. We get back home. Merce comes in. You've never seen him once so brown in your life, right? It's, middle, it's January, freezing cold out, snowing. And I said, hello, Merce. Take his, all right. I said, yeah, are you, you all right? He went, yeah, I feel a lot better now. I, I thought, yeah, I bet you do. You had a week in effing Barbados, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I went, oh, really? So I thought, now, you have a rat. We're top of the league. Things are going great. He's scoring goals, making goals. He's my captain. I have a rat with him and then end up doing me nut with him and we have a ruck and he's finished or whatever. I went, Merce, as long as you feel better, we've got a big game Saturday. That's all that matters. Yeah, I feel better. Anyway, we played on Saturday. He got two goals, I think, that Saturday. We won the game. And then, then we went to Millwall and he'd come in the dressing room before the game. I forget the figure, 35 grand, I think it was, in, his, in the package, in, in, in readies, all in bundles. So he says to me, can you look hard this for me? He said, I said, what is it? He said, I 
got these bookmakers, he said, for my island. He said, well, don't pay them, they're going to shoot me kneecaps off. He said, they're at the game, they've come here today. I said, well, leave it in your pocket, Merce. He said, I can't, it's me a voice, how can I leave it in my pockets here? He said, what can I do with it? I said, well, what can I do with it? He said, well, can't you just look after it for me during the game? And he said, oh. I went, all right, so I thought, so I put a tracksuit on instead of a suit. I thought, I put a tracksuit on, I put a stuck loads down my job, got it all everywhere, I got it all round me. Anyway, I was sitting there about 20 minutes, suddenly someone makes a saying happens, I get on the touchline, I'm by the side, I'm saying, get it, pick him up, or do Suddenly, this money starts to run, run down my leg, like it's slipping out, coming down onto the running track. Now, I'm holding onto my legs like this, <laughs> and I'm walking back to the... They went, what's the matter? <laughs> he said, what's that, what's that with you? I went, no. I never moved again. <laughs> I spent the rest of the half trying to work this money back up here. Anyway, we, we end up winning 5-0. I took Merce off before the end. Half time, I took the money out. I went in the toilet, got hold of it and put it and hid it in the, in the uh, dressing room. So, uh, but we won 5-0 and I pulled, he came off about five minutes ago. He got a standing ovation, Merce. And uh, he said, I actually owe him 100 grand. He said, but they'd done a deal with me for 35. So I went, oh, that's all right. Shaved his bacon. Yeah. Good lad, though, he was. Ah, oh, but... A Fantastic gifted, footballer. Gifted footballer. Eh? Yeah, he just made the difference. He came into that division. He could do things. He but could play. He wouldn't have gone and played for many men. I mean, I'm not, no. I'm not saying maybe only Harry. Yeah, Harry, yeah. But you carry yeah. a reputation about the brand of football, your man management, and the type of experience that players yeah. will have under you. Well, they wanted him out of Villa. They didn't like him. He's, he's obviously... He's, he's my cup of tea. He's my cup of tea. Yeah, I like him. We need to wind down so you can have some of your life back and the, and the dogs oh, get out on the beach with you. But I want to close by touching on three subjects. One man I don't know, but I, I admire from what you describe him as. Jimmy Hampson. Jimmy, I took Jimmy. Oh, when I went to West Ham, West Ham hadn't produced a player for about 12, 11, 12 years. I think Cotty, Ince, Stevie Potts were the last ones to come out, to come through the system. People always talk about this uh, and West Ham academy and yeah. all that, yeah. That was years and years ago. That was the Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst, Martin Peters, Frank Lampard, Trevor Brookin. It was that era, you know, when they kept producing players. All, everybody came out of the youth team in them days. And then 11 years, nothing. And we played Cholton at uh, Chabalif. I think it was under 12 game or something. And I'd only been at West Ham a couple of weeks and they beat West Ham 5-0. After the game, I, had the, um, I said, I can Cholton have better kids than West Ham. West Ham was still a bigger club than Cholton. You know, in London, there was no doubt about that. I said, where did Charlton get these kids? They said, it's the fellow that Tony Carr said, it's the fellow there, gets the kids for Charlton. He comes from Canning Town, Jimmy Hampson, his name is. So anyway, I go over to him. I said, how are you doing, all right? So I said, um, done well with the kids there. He said, yeah, we've got some good kids, Harry. He said, we've got next year up is good, and we've got this Gingman schoolboy. They've got Defoe. They've got these kids there. I said, would you fancy coming here working with us? He said, well, working for West Ham? I said, yeah. He went, put his got tattoos at West Ham all over him. He says, my club is something Canning Town area. He's on West Ham Mad. I went, all right. He said, of course I would. Anyway, so he leaves there. We, we nick him off a chalt and he comes in. And suddenly, like, within no time, it's luck and it's, you know, what. but he grafted and got a good group and we end up with six kids all go on and play for England. You know, Ferdinand Lampard, Joe Cole, Carrick, Defoe, Glenn Johnson. You know, you look at them, and I don't care what anybody says, you can look at the, the Man United kids, there's not a lot between them. Yeah. Rio Ferdinand has won everything there is to win. Frank Lampard has won everything there is to win, you know. Carrick has been there and, and done it all. Defoe's had a great career. You know, say Glenn Johnson, they've all been there at the top. But you used the word, OK, there was a bit of luck, but I want to argue against that because... The way in which you continue to work hard at scouting, work hard and in investing in players who other managers or clubs might regard as a risk, then you man-manage them well. That's a process, that's not luck. Mm. Okay, you always want an element of luck that the player doesn't... Okay, we won't talk about the player doesn't jump out the window and go home because his wife's homesick or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but the, the harder you work, it's the Gary player, Jackie Stewart phenomenon, the yeah. harder you work, the luckier you get. So I would say that you and Hampson are part of a system that works. Yeah, oh no, I used to, you know, we never used to miss a game. Me and Frank Lampard Senior, we'd go to watch the youth team play every Saturday morning at Chabalief, 11 o'clock kickoff, South East Counties League. We'd watch the first half, 15 minutes of the second half, when we were at home, West Ham, and then we'd whiz off to the ground. 
for the first team game. That's when I was a manager and he was assistant manager. We'd always watch the kids play. We watch every midweek game. The year they won the Youth Cup 9-0 in the final over two legs beat Coventry. But we went to every game. We went to Oldham. We drove up to Oldham. We, you know, wherever the team, Charlton early round, we went to every game. We followed that group of kids everywhere, wherever they played. Remember the first time I saw Joe Cole play when he was 11 years of age. He was the best 11-year-old footballer I've ever seen in my life. Came to Chabalief and played and we played Norwich. He was playing two years out of his age and it was just incredible, ankle deep mud. I've never seen anything like it. And we knew then, and then we had four years of trying to keep hold of him because every club in England chased Joe. Mostly said Alex wanted uh, he, Alex he led him this. a shirt, you know, with his number on. This is your number when you play for Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, every, Everton. Everybody was just, you know, he was the best schoolboy player around and everybody wanted him. You know, and it was softly, softly. When he ended up signing for us, you know, his dad would come, George would come to me. George, you know, George was a good, good man. George could look after, he was streetwise, look after himself. You didn't want to upset George. George was saying, I mean, Harry's going up to uh, Man United for a, or Liverpool for a week. I could have said, hang on, George, they can't, sorry, mate, we're going to report Liverpool if they've approached you. And, but I, I didn't because I knew, the, if I'd have said that to George, he'd have gone, off yeah. you go, boy, unlucky, you know, he'd have gone. So, yeah, great, George. You know, this is where he belongs. We want him here. We love him here. He's happy here. Yeah, but if he wants to go and have a look round, it's up to you. But, you know, he's happy here, Harry. He's coming to you, but he wants to go and have a little... OK, George, not a problem. They all break in the rules, but, and I knew it, but we didn't... If we'd have gone down that road of having the aggro with him... You'd have lost him. I'd have lost him. I knew George well enough. He was a very worldly guy. He was an handful, George. You didn't want to upset George, really, you know? So we went with it and George was good as gold and, and Joe came to us and it was great in the end. My, my second last subject is one where it's, probably people might feel I'm stating the obvious, but there's an infamous video you can now see on YouTube, which I think represents your cojones and your eye for talent really well. And we're talking about when you're talking to the fans at West Ham and you're having to defend against, okay, not an abusive mean yeah. guy, but a guy who's got the hump that, that Frank Mm. who's your nephew, is playing for West Ham. And hopefully anybody who hasn't seen that and listened to the podcast will go and look. But what comes strong to me is you handle the guy really well and you defend Frank's ability. You don't defend him against the critic. And you say, listen, you've got it wrong. Frank's going to go this far. And you say he's going to be a yeah. world star. The other players involved, I think, were Matty Holland. Yeah, Matty, Matty did it. And, 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 your, and Scotty Cannum did Scotty very Cannum, well. And, yeah. and basically you say, Matt's... Well, I might make a life and, yeah. and you know around and which is exactly what happened and mm. you know maybe yeah. Scotty and Scotty, didn't. Scotty went to Orient and played but yeah and the thing was that night I mean it was one of those it was a fan forum and young Frank wasn't even going he wasn't he was only a kid really and I think Trevor Sinclair was supposed to go and pulled out the last minute so you know I, I'd sort of dumped on Frank a bit Frank look I need you tonight can you cut yeah okay Harry yeah he turned up and then suddenly, you know, he's got people having a bit of a pop, you know. And, um, but I had no doubts because I'd never seen anybody. I'd only ever seen one person could come anywhere, anywhere near him, or was in fact was probably better than him, as a trainer, and that was his dad. I've never seen anyone in my life, and I don't say it for... He's my brother-in-law, Frank Senior, and I don't say it because he's my brother-in-law, he's anything else. But he was at West Ham. Ron Greenwood walked in the dressing room one day and Frank was just 17, I suppose. And he said to Frank, can I speak to you? So I fixed you up to go to Torquay on loan. John Bond's down there with Kenny Brown and they wanna, they're going to have a take you on loan. He said, and if you do well, he said, I think they might be interested in taking you, you know? Frank said, well, I want to play for West Ham. I don't want to play for Torquay. He said, well, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? He said, you never... What's not good enough? Well, tell me. He said, well, what do I need to work on? Well, you've got no pace. You, you know, Frank, you're not quick enough. And Frank said, oh, I ain't got to talk to you, so I'm playing at West Ham. And he came back, Frank, every day, every day, without fail, an hour after training, an hour and a half, he'd be out on that pitch, he'd have his spikes on, he'd run to that mark there, he'd jockey, jockey, get down low, jockey, and he'd turn and sprint 10 yards. Fuck, I see him now. He'd run to that table, Stop, jockey, jockey, twist, turn, twist and turn, bang, 10, 15 yards sprint. He would do that every day. He couldn't run, he was so slow, it was incredible, Frank. Great football brain, 
aggressive, proper bloke, knew it, you know, could not run. Suddenly, he had the spikes, every day had his spikes on. He got quicker and quicker. But there wasn't a day where he didn't do that. And he always used to say, the harder you, the harder you work, you work mm. the luckier you get. He would train every day. He'd spend an hour out of training, clipping balls. Harry, come and take me on to the fifth, come and run at me 10, 15 minutes. And he just worked and trained and trained. And, and this kid was exactly the same. I'd look out my window at four o'clock. He's been away somewhere with the youth team. Over in the distance at Chadwell Leaf, I used to look at my office, it's pissing down with rain, getting dark. It's someone over there running with a ball in and out of cones and then sprinting. And I thought, someone's got over the fence, you know. Who's the fucking... Someone? <laughs> I did, I, I thought, someone's... There's a geezer over there, got over the fence. He's in the training ground, you know. It's now it's Frank. Every day, every day, and I ain't exaggerating, lads, every single day, he'd be out little four o'clock, up past four. All the other kids had gone home at two o'clock. I'll be honest, Tony Carr, who was in, did an incredible job at West Ham, Tony, great youth coach and everything else. But when I signed Frank, he went to me, Harry oh, can't run, he can't get around the pit, can't run. But what an athlete he turned out to be. But that's how he trained. He lived, he'd, tra he'd go home at night, he'd put a wetsuit on and go running around the streets, go to a run. His dad was a fanatic fitness fanatic and the kid was exactly wanted so determined no one was going to get in their way nothing was going to stop them and if they had walked all over you to do it they were going to get there that they had this determination a pair of them it was incredible honestly i've never seen two people in my life every man you ever had would say the same Mourinho, they've all all the chelsea managers they've all he's just an incredible trainer what, incredible why is it that despite, I mean, he's a leading scorer all mm. time for Chelsea. Mm. Just like his dad, he's gone on to do something extraordinary that people would have yeah. betted everything against before. Do you agree with me that he's been underappreciated? That he's always had to strive to get people's appreciation and admiration, mm. whether I'm talking about ex-players or fans or journalists or... Why, how can we as a country have got that so wrong about Frank Jr.? Do you understand it? Yeah, oh no, I hear, you know, I hear it. And it happens, you know, West, he goes back to West Ham and uh, for years I got terrible abuse. Here was a little boy, every picture in his house, he's got his West Ham kit on from the time he's that big. His dad played for 20 years for the club, yet the chairman at West Ham pulled me in after we played Coventry at, at one night. We beat Coventry 2-1 in a relegation battle. Gordon Strachan, it was, a it was a lovely picture actually, me and Gordon and young Frank coming on a sub. And the chairman, it was, he, he said that he's, he's, he wanted to see me, Terry Brown talked about And he started saying to me, Frank, he said, it's, you only brought it, bring him on because he's your nephew, Harry. And uh, he gets the appearance money. I said, yeah, Terry, I must admit you're right. I said, I said, look, his dad has got 250 houses in London at the moment that he owns. I said, it's probably one of the biggest property companies. I said, but I thought, listen, give the kid enough, you know, it's 50 quid. I said, we're, we're hanging on to grim life at the time. We're beating Coventry 2-1. And I've took whoever I took off, uh, oh, you know, I took a player off and I brought Frank on. I said, but I thought, no, don't listen. It don't matter if the fans behind you start calling me names and swearing at me if we get beat or we draw, but bring him on for the 50 quid. I, I was coming up, Frank was coming upstairs for some... He said, I could hear you shouting and swearing at the chairman and giving him some almighty abuse. And I told Frank what he said. You know, I mean, it was, it was amazing people had this idea that you're going to give the kid appearance money because he's my nephew. I mean, I had more aggravation, to be fair, with Frank Senior over young Frank than I've ever had in football, you know, because, you know, he had a new contract coming and Frank thought he was worth X amount. I'm working for the club trying to say he should only be getting this. And we're family, and it was, it was a difficult time. Yeah. So I was, certainly wasn't, but as a professional, yeah, Frank Senior, all the other all the players, you've got, look at him, he's only trying to impress the manager. He didn't give it, he used to put This his, is when Frank Senior is trying to prove Ron yeah. Greenwood wrong yeah, and, and, yeah. and better and the himself. other players. That is what going, put oh, them down out of jealousy. Yeah. And young Frank, the same. And young Frank, the other young kids there, they all see him out there practicing, training, getting bags of balls, hitting shots, going past a cone. Is this why English players can't 
play world level football anymore because if you try harder hmm. you're sucking up and oh, if you yeah. try harder you're wasting your time because you could be out spending your money yeah. and the type of coaching or development which is best you talked about Gordon Strachan is the type of development where you take the ball and you learn to do what you want with the ball and you work hard yeah, yeah. with the ball and you get yourself fit and you better yourself without needing to go and get regimented coaching is, is, is that jealousy is that lack of understanding about how to make football better what's afflicting England's skill shortage at the moment? Oh, I think so. I think, you know, we, there's not enough people to encourage people to, you know, you, I go and watch the kids play. You know, I've, followed, I've had kids that have played, now I've got grandkids. But you, the, the amount of parents, you know, as well as managers, you know, get rid of it. When a kid gets the ball, get rid of it. If a kid dribbles, don't be greedy. Pass it, they shout at the kids, don't they? Now, imagine Messi passing it when he was that big, you know. They pass it. They're saying, get rid of it. If a kid makes a mistake, I remember Rio at 15, I said, when you get that ball at the back, you come out, come out and play. Play, pass it. Don't kick it in the crowd. I said, anyone can boot, boot the ball up. I said, you'll make a few mistakes. So what? You know, we'll have to suffer that. Moro made, made mistakes. You talk about coaching, I won't spend time with Bobby. He swears, you know, you need people that believe in you. When you're a footballer, a young player, you need someone. If someone believes in you and takes interest in you and talks to you and wants to help you, Morrow swears that he would never have made a player without Malcolm Allison. He said, without Malcolm Harry, I would never have been a player. To start with, he was leaving school, Bobby, and West Ham, they had 15, whatever, in them days, ground staff boys. Bobby was a Tuesday and Thursday night training from the age of 12. And Malcolm used to take the training. Every Tuesday and Thursday night, Malcolm took the training. He was a player, Malcolm. He was the governor of the club, really. But he'd had a lung removed. But he was, the, he was club captain. But he was also the leader of that club. With all them great characters. Noel Campbell, Dave Sexton, John Bond. But Noel was the governor. They used to go in the cafe every day and talk football. But at the end of it, Malcolm was the boss. When Malcolm talked tactics and moved the salt pots around, everybody listened, you know. And Malcolm said to the coaching, they, they, they had 14 kids, there was one place left and they were taking this kid. And Malcolm said, no, you're taking him. He was only still a player. He wasn't a coach. And he went, well, we're you know, he can't run, Malcolm. He's, this is Bobby. This is Bobby. Malcolm said, I'm telling you now. He said he'll be a player. He said he got the, his attitude is right. He wants to learn. He said, you take him. He'll be a player, right? You're taking him. And they, they obviously, Malcolm, well, they, thought, they took him, took Bobby. Bobby said, I played at Chelsea, Harry. He said, I'm playing at Chelsea on their training ground on a Wednesday afternoon. He said, I'm playing, I'm marking Barry Bridges. On the Saturday, Barry Bridges had played in Chelsea's first team and scored twice in the first team, but now he's playing in the youth team because the manager wanted, didn't want it, to get, just broke into the first team, but he's going to play him on a Wednesday afternoon in the youth team against West Ham. He said, I'll never give him a kick. He said, I fucking marked him. He said, I followed him. I've done a real good job on him. He said, we drew nil-nil. I'll come in after the game. In comes Malcolm. I thought, oh, it's Malcolm. He'll come over because Malcolm used to drop Bobby off home after training on Tuesday and Thursday, him and a couple of other kids. He said, Malcolm, oh, Malcolm's here. You know, he knew Malcolm liked him. He said, he'll come over and say, well done to me, you know. And I'm sitting there, Malcolm, he said, Amora, if ever I see you play like that again, he said, when, when, when the goalkeeper got the ball, what was you doing? He said, you ran up the pitch looking at Barry Bridges to go and mark him. He said, I told you, drop off. When the keeper gets it, come and get the ball. Tell him, give me the ball, I can play, I'll make this play. You get the ball off the goalie. He said, shove it out to your left back, drop off, make an angle, clip a little ball into the front man. That's what I've taught you to do. He said, and you, how many times you touched the ball? She didn't touch the ball. Didn't want the ball. Don't ever let me see you play like that again. I'll never talk to you again. Waste my time with you. And what did Morrow do the rest of his career? You're sitting in a country which has been world champion. Yeah. Because Bobby picks up the ball at 3-2. Yeah. Drops, takes it, looks long for oh, Jeff yeah. first. That beautiful oh, yeah. pass, yeah. even as a Scot. Yeah. Because the other one hadn't crossed the line. Yeah, that yeah. Thing. We, yeah. Just, we can be clear about that. But he did exactly what Martin was telling to do. Yeah. And a lovely, lovely ball. Yeah. Out of chaos to... I know. And that's what he'd done. He'd get it, he'd roll it out, he'd fall back, drop off Bobby, make an angle, clip it into Erste's chest. But always, every time the goalie got the ball, Bobby would come, give us a, want a plate in the back. But Malcolm, he, he idolised Malcolm. Malcolm had interest in him. 
and he believed in him, and out of all them kids, he, he ended up being what he was, you know. You've said something that I think isn't well understood, and because you've got me enthusiastic, I'm keeping you longer than I promised to, but, but the majority of people who are listening won't have seen Bobby Moore playing live, mm. because there'll be a lot of kids of 20, 30, but because he's a legend, because he was one of the greatest players Britain ever mm. produced, they won't have understood that there was a stage in his life when he needed encouragement oh, to yeah. believe in him, because I think we, who have not played at your mm. level, managed think that talent is, is innate and it brings with its, it brings its own confidence and mm. you don't necessarily need a mentor or somebody to touch yeah, your yeah. shoulder and say... Oh no, Bobby, was, Bobby wasn't, again, wasn't a schoolboy player. He was a, little, he was a little chubby boy. If you looked at him, even when he was, you know, uh, in his prime, you know, if you'd have gone and watched him play, uh, and I said, you, there's a player playing at West Ham, go and have a look at him, give me a report on him, you'd have come back, you'd have gone, well, he's... Five foot eleven, nearly six foot, not quite. Is he quick? No, no, got no pace. Good in here? No, he can't edit. You'd have gone, hang on, is he playing the centre half? He ain't very big, he can't edit and he ain't quick, what? But, you know, he'd go up with a centre forward, he'd make out the centre forward, he'd jump, flick it on, Bobby's dropped off ten yards, caught it on his chest. You know, well, thank you very much, you know. Just read the game, always in the right position. When balls are played down that channel, he's in there waiting. You know, Jozinho's taking him on in the World Cup. One against one, Jozinho, who absolutely ripped the World Cup to pieces in 1970, running at Bobby, one against one. And Bobby's shoving him. Next thing, Jozinho's nearly running into the corner flag. You know, Bobby slides in and pulls the ball and goes away with it. That was Moro, you know, fantastic. He had a brain that was unbelievable. Have you noticed the more that you've been talking about this, the, the more animated the yeah. and that the, your love of what you're talking about has just come oozing out? Yeah, yeah, well, no, it, but it's great, isn't it? I mean, I love all talking about the good players and, you know, Jules Best and people like that. You know, what a player, Bestie. Bestie would have been up there with the, you know, he'd have been up there with the messes, wouldn't he, Bestie, really, I think. I well, mean, you're the only one in this room who can tell us that. But I remember, as a schoolboy, the two players when you were playing football, either in the mm. front lawn or at school, and you scored or you tried to score, you shout Pelé, like Coleman mm. did in yeah, the yeah. 70 World Cup. But the one who had a skills programme on BBC One when you came home from school was George Best. Oh, genius. And because of Dennis Lowe's from Aberdeen, yeah, yeah. you followed George more mm. closely from Scotland. And when George was you just talk to anybody, genius. you say he would have been... Oh, yeah, he was an he was a ge absolute genius, you know. Of, did you play regularly? Yeah, against thing? George, and George came to Bournemouth and played. You know, I spent a bit of time with George, and he was he was fantastic. He was a uh, he was a great guy, and uh, he was just the most amazing footballer. I mean, you know, I remember going to Old Trafford one day. I played in the England youth team with Dave Sadler, and I'm out looking at the pitch before the game. Dave Sadler said, "George has missed a team meeting." He said, "He's uh, I think he's been out all night." He said, "This looks a bit of a mess," you know. I went, oh, really? He said, yeah, he's been right on the booze, I think. So, oh, I'll go back in the dressing room. I said, fucking hell, best he's been out all night. I said, they reckon he's... Anyway, he can't... Oh, my God. He ripped... I think he scored three that day. And then he got a goal. He got a short corner. He went out of John Aston. I'll never forget. He said, give it to me. I'll score from here. He got it, and he, he beat four players, came in, went bump, bump, made out the shoot. Moro's all... Bang. Top cut, you know. Incredible. He was, he was... Normal schools against England schools. This is Man United against West Ham, Old oh. Trafford. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah. A fantastic goal he scored. But up against yourself and Against, Bobby yeah, and... yeah. He came in and beat everybody from the left wing. Took the, they passed a the corner to him. He, he made up his mind. He was going to... He said, I score from here. And he got it and he, off he went. He just went... So yeah. since you were a first-hand witness to George's genius and what he could do with the ball, I don't want to make... Mm. Comparison say the modern player, the, the olden days player, they're, they're not as good. The similarities between Messi and Best. Oh, yeah, yeah. To, to you, is that. Great similarities. In, yeah. in, in, in what way? Well, the way everything, the way they, they, they'd get kicked and would ride tackles, get up, and, you know, I mean, Messi at the end of the day, he's got, you know, the kickings he gets, he's got to be tough and he, he's, he wants to play all the time. They're like kids at a school who are hundred times better than the other kids. They get the ball and they just, you know, off they go. They just can do things that other kids can't dream of doing. And that's how George was. I mean, you, you see people were talking about riding tackles the other day. Someone said, oh, someone rode a tackle. He said, the best I, I said, the best I ever saw was the day that George Best rode Ronnie Harris at Stamford Bridge. Ronnie Harris has come in to, to snap George in half. He's coming across George and George is 
got the ball and he was like, he was on skis, George. He's rode this, Ronnie Harris has hit him from here. How he ain't broke his leg. And George has rode the tackle in ankle deep mud and gone past Ronnie Harris and drew the keeper and rolled it in the corner. I mean, it, it was incredible. You know, the strength he showed to ride the tackle. And Messi's his hand. He hit him and he seems to keep going, doesn't he? he? The first interview I ever had with him, he said something that I've never forgotten because he's not the world's most enthusiastic speaker. Mm. He, in fact, he would do quite well without anything other than playing the game yeah. and going home. And I asked him about it and he said, well, if you kicked early in a game, it hurts like hell. But from then on, I get on with it because all I want is the ball. And from then on, he said... I don't feel it. I don't even notice it because it's all about having the ball and winning the game and owning mm. the game. And he said, you'll come off and then I'll start to feel it again. But during the game, it, he doesn't even, mm. he isn't aware of it, which is no. why you never see, you never book for retaliation. No, no. Never send off for retaliation because no, all no. he wants is the ball. Of course, yeah, yeah. And he's in some sort of zone of his yeah. own, which yeah. I don't know if George was the same in that. No, when he played George, was obviously George, he leads, leads a different life to George off the field. That's, That's the, something that he's that been given in key. his genes. He's, yeah. he's yeah. got no interest in it no. at all. Whereas George obviously had all the off-field problems. Fun, uh, let's, call as a it. Fan, let's yeah. call it fun. But as a player, my God. The first time we ever met, I think, was in the 98 World Cup in La Boule in France. And you were terrifically friendly and yeah, generous Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're ending a World Cup note. You, you picked a hero of ours and Joe Jordan yeah, to work with. And what was it about Joe as a man, as a player? Oh, Joe, like, you could have your life on Joe. He's just, Joe, he's just staunch, isn't he? He's, if Joe's with you on your side, he's, he's 100% with you. Joe, he's just, a, he's, he's a absolute solid, such a solid person. He'd be with you. Joe's with you all the way. And when he said, say, Joe, he's a quiet man, but when he speaks, he's worth listening to, you know? Lifetime well spent in football, Leeds, and yeah. playing in Serie A when it wasn't fashionable for Brits to do that. And I mentioned the World Cup because he's the only Scot, I think, to score in mm. three different World Cups, and one of which I was great, at to watch. Great, great, great Nick looks after himself. He's in incredible condition, Joe, still. You know, he's, he's in that gym every morning, when it, wherever I've been with him, whatever club I've been at, he's in that gym seven o'clock every, mo every morning, and never did, missed. Did every Reno Gattuso nearly find out what yeah, yeah. were for? Yeah, yeah. What fancy, the hell was going on there? Fancy having a with Joe, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, he's fantastic, Joe. I've been lucky to have Joe with me. Harry, it's been... Good. Um, ...an education and a pleasure, and on the big interview, we've been talking to a man whose football life has been rich and successful and interesting, and you've taught us some things. Good. Nice talking Thank to you. Thank you very much. Graham, good to see you. Pleasure. And yes, before you say anything, getting Joe on the podcast would be good. And, and maybe sort of the peace match or the bout number two is Reno Gattuso. I don't know. I don't know. But in due course, I'd like to have both of them in. A, a word for Reno Gattuso. I know that when Paul Gascoigne was at his very lowest, Reno Gattuso got in touch with a friend of mine who got in touch with me. And Gattuso was desperate to try and help Gaza to do anything to be there for him. And therefore, I'd back Joe in that fight. Joe's a national hero. But maybe Reno just had a bad night in Milan that night when he squared up to Joe Jordan. Mistake. Look, at the beginning of all this, I forgot to mention a fantastic new reward. Backpage Press have decided that we'll print a limited edition of the award-winning Barca book that I wrote. Um, there'll be a hundred of them, and each of them will have a page printed in it with a thank you to you, you specifically. If you buy that reward, it'll be exclusive. There'll be one of those in the world with your name on it. Buy that reward if you fancy it as an idea. Think about becoming a socio. Think about tapas with me or the fiesta. Go to kickstarter.com. Don't hesitate. Get it done. You know you want to. Now, that was Harry part two. The treat is, and this is why we're asking you to back the big interview. It, it feels wonderful to us to be launching these new characters into the series every few days and that's what if the big interview is properly supported that's what we are pledging to do to aim to bring you a podcast every seven to ten days the next one will be out on monday let me see what i can tell you about him 
In that interview, Harry talked about Dave Mackay possibly being Spurs' greatest ever player. Well, this guy reckons he's Spurs' biggest ever mistake. This guy has had a run-in with the French riot police. And this guy also always had lovely knitted jerseys to go to school in, thanks to his mum. <laughs> You've got it already, haven't you? No? Well, number one, tune in on Monday. Two, get your name on the mailing list on grahamhunter.tv. Three, go to kickstarter.com. Join the hundreds and hundreds of people who've already supported the big interview and keep this series alive for another year. Love you. Missing you already.